Greetings, brethren. Welcome to day six of the Feast of the Tabernacles 2023. And this is Judge Righteous Judgment number three. Judgment is so important. The whole reason that God has called us so we can learn his ways. We can learn his laws, his statutes, his judgment. We can learn the teachings of Jesus Christ. We can understand what we need to do and how we need to do it because we're going to be given the greatest responsibility ever given to any group of people, that is, all of those in the first resurrection, to be given judgment for the world, judgment over the people, teaching the truth of God all during the thousand-year period, and bringing multiple millions, probably, into the kingdom of God. Because, you see, God's plan is greater than anything that any man has ever thought of. Because, remember, the night that God promised Abraham, which was the night of the 14th, right at the Passover time, before the Passover was instituted, with the children of Israel. He took Abraham outside the tent after he had told him that he would have a son. Then when they got outside the tent, he said, look now to the heavens. And if you can number the stars, count them. Okay. Well, From Abraham's point of view, he could see so many. From God's point of view, that's the whole expanse of the universe. So the whole promise that God gave, when he says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. He's talking about all of the universe. So this is really quite a tremendous thing. Now, there are a lot of people who say, well, you shouldn't judge because Jesus came to save the world, not judge the world. Now, we need to understand that that's only partially true. So let's come to the verses that are well worn by the Protestants but they don't understand them. They repeat them from rote, and some people are really sincere in it, but they really don't understand because they always say that the law is done away. When Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but the law will never pass away, my words will never pass away, So you see, they misinterpret the Bible and only cherry-pick what they want, which makes them feel good. So they read John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Okay, So that everyone who believes in his name. Now this is, believe is a participle. And a participle means believe and keep on believing. Now, what does believe mean? Does it merely mean to believe that he came? Or does it mean to believe not only that, but everything he said? Remember what he said in Luke 6? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say. So believing is far more than anything that they want to admit because they want to have a simple gospel with a simple understanding, which means 
that they will be among those when they say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do many powerful works in your name? And didn't we do cast out demons in your name? And Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. That is, get away from me. You who work lawlessness. Now that is anti-law. And anti-law is what? Sin. So sins are not forgiven unless you believe and keep on believing. And everything about Jesus, everything he said, everything he preached, what he did, what he told us to do. Okay? The one who is believing in him may not. Now, that is a subjunctive meaning, an if clause. May not perish. Meaning, there are conditions to what? He has said, but may have, again, conditions. What are those? Be faithful unto death. Keep his commandments. Love God with all your heart and mind and soul and being. Isn't that true? Yes. Now let's read on a couple more verses here and come to the verse that they like to read. Okay, for God sent not his son into the world that he might judge the world. Now, what does that mean? Okay, but that the world might be saved through him. Okay, now, hold your place here and let's come to John 9. Let's see what Jesus said. Is he contradicting himself? Is God two-faced in it? Let's come to John, the ninth chapter. John 9 and verse 39. Now this is directly on the surface contradicting what is in John 3. So we have to understand both are true. You cannot have eternal life unless you meet the conditions of loving God and keeping his commandments. And that is the judgment for eternal life. So listen to what he says here in verse 39. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world. The very fact that he came is judgment against the world, judgment against their sins, judgment against their religions, judgment against the way that they do things because they're rejecting God, they're rejecting Jesus Christ and his laws and commandments while at the same time professing his name but not believing him. Okay? For judgment I have come into the world so that those who do not see might see. Lift the veil of Satan's blindness if they repent. And those who see, like the Pharisees of old, the Protestants and Catholics say, we see, but they don't so that those who see may become blind. And so there's no contradiction at all. All right? Now let's continue on because we have quite a bit to cover here. Let's understand one of the very basics for judging. Judgment should never be given to a novice. And Paul said there, let's go to Proverbs, the second chapter, and let's read that, because this will, this will give us the foundation of what is necessary for judgment, what is necessary to make right decisions. See? 
because God gave us minds to think. God gave us free moral agency as we covered yesterday, and we must choose. And everything about life is choosing, is it not? Whenever you make a, a decision, that's a choice. And whenever you make a decision, that is what you believe. So that's why you need to be well grounded in the Bible. And that's why judgment is never given to another. Let's read what we have to do here, okay? Let's begin in verse 1. Because these are the conditions that we have to have automatically in our minds so that when we have the scriptures and look at those and understand what God says, then we can make a judgment, we can make a right choice. Now, furthermore... During the millennium, we're going to be able to read the minds of people just like Jesus did. And we have to know everything of God's word, everything of God's judgment, everything of God's purpose, so that we can judge righteous judgment for the people, right? That's why we're being called, okay? Chapter 2, verse 1, my son. Now we're all to be the sons and daughters of God. Now notice the conditions. Here are the conditions that lead up to how do we become educated enough with God's ways to make righteous judgment. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, see, have to be within us. What does it say in Hebrews ten sixteen? God is going to write and inscribe them in our minds and in our hearts, right? And this helps us understand what we need to do because the laws and words of God are spiritual and they always apply all the time. Now, if we treasure it up within us, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Now, this means there never comes a time that we understand everything, that we have to keep learning every day. I'm still learning. You're still learning. All the brethren are learning. And as we go over the scriptures and go over them, time and time again in personal study and for all of the elders in studying and preaching and teaching that we understand the knowledge, okay? So here's how it works. Again, another if. Yea, if you cry after knowledge and lift up your voice for understanding. So we have knowledge and understanding. Knowledge is what you can Perceive, knowledge is what you can, how shall we say, look at, read, okay? But knowledge must lead to understanding. So not only do you have the knowledge of it, there are a lot of people who have the knowledge of the Sabbath. Bill Wax, one of our elders, asked one of his friends, said, uh, what day does the Bible teach us the Sabbath? And he said, oh, Saturday, of course. And then he looked at him and he said, then why do you keep Sunday? And he was astonished and he said, well, I just haven't found a way to keep the Sabbath. So knowledge must be accompanied with what the next one is, and lift up your voice for understanding so you understand why God gave the Sabbath, 
why God gave all of his commandments. Okay. Now continuing. Notice how conditional all of this is. If you seek after her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure. Now you would waste no time looking for that. Whatever you might do, look at what men do chasing after treasure and silver and gold and pearls and precious jewels and all of those expensive things. Look at what happens when there's a gold rush. People come rushing in so that they can find their gold and hit it and be rich. So notice, there are three ifs. If you will receive my words, if you cry after knowledge, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then, verse 5, then. So you see, it's a progression of learning. It's a progression of coming to understanding. Then you shall understand the fear of the Lord. There's a reason to fear God, because he holds life and death at his word. And even though we love God with all our heart, mind, and soul and being, that should give us a true fear of God that we won't go out and transgress and think, oh, well, God will forgive me. Well, he may or may not, depending on your attitude. Okay. Then you shall understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, which tells you this. If you don't have the love and fear of God, you're not going to find the knowledge of God. And isn't that true? Look at all the Christianity of this world. They have the knowledge of God right in the palm of their hand. But do they know it? No. Do they understand it? No. This is why we have to apply ourselves so we know in preparation for judging the world. Now notice verse 6. The next thing that happens is this. For the Lord gives wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. Wisdom does not come from philosophy of men. And philosophy means the lover of wisdom. But the wisdom of this world is going to perish. See, For you need the wisdom of God. Out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He lays up sound wisdom for the righteous. Not to anybody else. Wisdom to see, to perceive, to understand righteous judgment, and all the requirements for righteous judgment. Because God has made it very clear. It's not like today. In the world, there is political protection for those who are in high places. But that can never be. You can never have an idea or a proposition or a plan that goes against God and ever make a righteous decision. Okay? Now notice, when you do that, he lays up wisdom for the righteous. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. And what does that mean? That means keeping his commandments. Okay. And that means loving God. And that means loving your neighbor. And that means loving the brethren. Notice verse 8. He keeps the paths of righteous judgment and preserves the way of his saints. Now, notice what all of that does. This is the educational package that comes with the Bible. And we have to put it together so that it works rightly. Okay? 
Then he says, verse 9, Then, notice everything leading up to verse 9, Then you shall understand righteousness and judgment and equity and every good path. Verse 10, wisdom shall enter into your heart and knowledge will be pleasing to your soul. Isn't that something? Now notice we'll finish with verse 11. Discernment shall preserve you. You will be able to discern right and wrong, good attitude, bad attitude, duplicity of statements, righteousness of thought. You'll be able to discern all of that. Verse 11, and discretion shall preserve you, and that discretion is discerning, and understanding shall keep you. Now, what is that going to do? Going to deliver us from Satan. Going to deliver us from evil people. So that's quite a thing that God has laid out for us here, all right? Now, let's come to the first psalm. Now, notice what it says. And this is talking about us. And notice that this short psalm is the introduction and actually a summary of the whole book of Psalms. Now, let's read it. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scornful. And that's exactly what the whole world is doing today with all of its wokeness and all of its political uh, treachery that's going on. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. We delight in it. You see, when you don't, when people don't delight in the laws and commandments of God, they'll never understand. It'll always be, well, what if this? What if that? What if the other thing? See? No. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. How is that done? With God's Spirit. So this is how you make, even today, righteous judgments day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year all in preparation for the resurrection. Now notice, he shall be like a tree planted by the streams of water, which brings forth fruit in its season, and its leaf shall not wither, and all that he does shall prosper. Now if you plant a tree, what does it do? It grows, and it bears fruit, correct? And didn't Jesus tell the disciples that they were to bear fruit? Didn't he say that he is the vine and we are the branches and we are to bear the fruit? And if we bear fruit, God trims us so that we can bear more fruit. And those that don't bear fruit that are cut off and cast into the fire, right? John 15. Yes, be like a tree planted by the waters. The waters is the Holy Spirit. The growing and everything is how we progress in our spiritual understanding and our spiritual wisdom and knowledge. Verse 4, here's the world. But the wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away, just like so much dust. So that's what it's going to be with the way of the world and their judgments and what they are doing. Therefore, the wicked shall not stand in the judgment, because the judgment's going to come. 
the judgment is going to sit, the judgment is going to be made, and then when you get to the end of the millennium and the second resurrection, there is the judgment for them, and then when you get to the end of that, there is the judgment for all of the wicked, right? So the whole Bible is built on the thoughts and love of God, but to teach us wisdom and what we need to do and how we need to make righteous judgments. Therefore, the wicked shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Okay? For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, and that leads to life, correct? Yes. We're to walk in the paths of God. We're to walk in the ways of God. We're to walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. All of those apply to the way of the Lord. Okay, But the way of the wicked shall perish. Quite an amazing thing, isn't it, huh? Think about it. All right. Now, let's see some of the wicked during Jesus' day. Let's come to Matthew 23. Okay. Very interesting indeed. Matthew 23. Now, as we come to Matthew 23, we find this. We find that those who sat in the seat of Moses were the ones who were to give judgments from the Scriptures. Now then, if they gave the right judgment from the Scriptures, the people were to do them. But when they started interjecting their own judgments, and when they overlooked mercy and faith and judgment, as Jesus said, then they were hypocrites to the highest standard. So notice what he said to his disciples in the multitude. Now, in verse 2 he says, The scribes and Pharisees have sat down on Moses' seat as judges. Therefore, every judgment that they tell you to observe, observe and do. Now, that means the judgment from the Word of God, because the Word of God is always true, even though they may be in error in many more things. Okay? But, Here's their error. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not. And that's exactly what we have today. There is the law today in the land, but the judges throw it out. And look at the mess that it has caused with the people. Look at the mess it caused with those back there in Jesus' day. Okay? Now, let's look at a couple more Proverbs, and we will see that in the book of Proverbs that there's a lot to say about judgment and right and wrong and good and evil, and that's why a good, thorough study of the book of Proverbs one of the best things you can do to help you think, to help you get all your priorities right and then you add to it other studies from the Bible. So let's go ahead and take a break, and when we come back, we'll be looking at some things in the book of Proverbs. Okay, welcome back. We're ready to go, and let's come to Proverbs 21, and we're going to spend quite a bit of time in the book of Proverbs for this last half of the message because there are so many things in Proverbs that apply to judgment and righteousness and knowledge and everything, just like we covered at the beginning in Proverbs, the second chapter. Proverbs 21 and verse 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. But the Lord ponders 
the heart. Okay. Then the next verse tells us what this is all about. To do righteousness and justice, meaning judgment, is more pleasing to the Lord than sacrifice. That's quite a thing. More pleasing than sacrifice. It gets down to the whole thing that God wants us to do, you see. Okay? Now, let's come here to verse 15. Let's see this. Verse 15. This is quite a, quite a verse. It is joy to the righteous to do justice, or that is, do judgment. But ruin to the workers of iniquity. Now let's come over here across to chapter 20 and verse 8. Now notice how this can be applied to Revelation 20, at where it says we will be kings and priests, and judgment will be committed to us. Verse 8, a king who sits on the throne of judgment scatters away all evil with his eyes. Okay. Now notice the next verse. Because this shows a lack of judgment. Who can say, I have made my heart clean, I am pure from sin. No, God is the only one who can take that away. That's not something that we can do. See, So all of this judgment and all of these things to judge righteous judgment have to do with everything that we're doing as Christians today. Okay? Now, since we're here in the book of Proverbs, let's look at some other things. Right here in Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18. Just turn the page. Now, isn't it interesting? You can turn a page here and turn a page there in the book of Proverbs, and you have things pertaining to judgment, right? Okay. Proverbs 18 and verse 13. Now, here's one of the things that's important. Never be hasty in rendering a judgment. Now, we will see what are we to do. We are to get all of the facts. We are to get everything that we need to. Okay. Now, verse 13. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. See? And isn't, isn't that what happens? Yes. How many times have you made a judgment concerning someone, first impression, and you found out later you were wrong? Huh. Imagine that making a wrong judgment. And what happens when you do that? You impute in your own mind evil thoughts toward that person. Okay. And you don't know what they're thinking because no one can read the minds of others even, even in spite of what wives may think about their husbands. They may come close a lot of times, but other times they may be totally wrong. Okay, Come back here to Proverbs 14. Let's see what this tells us. Verse 29. Okay. Notice why this is important. Verse 29. He who is slow to wrath is of great understanding. So you never make a hasty judgment in anger. Now, if you're angry... Back off, take some time, get some space, think it over, think about everything, think about your own feelings, 
ask yourself the question, am I reading myself into uh, the situation here? What are the true facts? See, And that's very important to understand. Okay. Okay. Proverbs 14, verse 29 again. He who is slow to anger is of great understanding, but he who is hasty of spirit exalts folly. So meaning, if you rush into it, if you rush into judgment, or you rush to conclusions, but you don't have all the facts, you're going to be wrong. So then the question becomes, are you willing to admit it? And repent. See, because that's always true too. Well, then you make the right judgment to correct your wrong. And will you admit that you are wrong? See, that's also important because how can you judge others unless you first judge yourself? All right, now let's look at some other things in the book of Exodus that goes along with what we've been reading here in Proverbs. Let's come to Exodus 23, see, because God has instructions here, because what he was doing in preparing the people going into the Holy Land, he was preparing them to follow the judges that he would set up, okay? And he gives specific instructions concerning that. All right, Exodus 23. Now think about this today. Think how far away that the politicians, that the media, that education, that people are today. Especially, they get hasty. Now what's a riot all about? Hasty decision to try and do something. Okay. Now here's one for all the mass media. You shall not raise a false report. And isn't that what they're doing on almost everyone? A false report. Insinuations. Twisting the words. Making it appear that things are not right. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Remember one of the commandments? You shall not, what? Bear false witness. Now that means in a case of judgment, it also means you're not to lie. Okay? You shall not follow the multitude to do evil. Now isn't that what happened? Back there in Exodus 31 and 32, when Aaron made the golden calf, everyone said, we don't know what happened to Moses. It, it, we, he may be dead. Let's make us gods. We need gods. So he formed the golden calf. Okay? Now, he was following the mob in a riot to do wrong. And he was a coward and placated them and made the golden calf, and they worshipped it and had a big, how shall we say, sexual rock party all around the golden calf. Okay. Now notice this. Verse 2. Neither shall you testify in a cause in order to side with many so as to pervert judgment. Uh, talking right to the judge. You're not to be swayed by the mob or those who want action that is not right. Neither shall you be partial to a poor man in his cause. Oh, and look at what happens. See what happens today? Say, oh, well, we got to help the poor. Really? How do you help them? Best way to help the poor 
is not just give them cash and money. Best way is to get them educated. Best way is to show them how to live. The best way is to teach them how to rule their own lives, see? But nevertheless, you're not to be partial partial for the poor, okay? Then he says down here in verse 6, you shall not pervert the judgment due to your poor in his cause, okay? Now notice what else he says here. All of this has to do with judgment. All of this has to do with the attitude, with the judge, with those bringing information. Verse 7, keep far from a false matter and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not justify the wicked. Now think about that. Well, we have so many bad judges. Well, recently this summer we had some fairly good judgments come along. But how long will they last with the mob in control and with unrighteous judgment sitting in the seats of judging? Okay. And you shall take no bribe. Oh, oh. Wonder how many people that catches them in, see. For the bribe blinds the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. All of this has to do with judge righteous judgment versus judging sinful judgment. So that's quite a thing, all right? Verse 9, Also you shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger, since you were a stranger in the land of Egypt. Okay. Now, all of those are there. Quite interesting, isn't it? How much there is. All right. Now, let's come to Deuteronomy 17. Since this is talking about what judges will do, in Deuteronomy 17, we have explicit instructions. Here, we have for when they wanted a king. But this also applies to every judge. Deuteronomy 17. Now notice how God does not play favorites. Now, look at the, the case of David. David was chosen over all of the other seven brethren. And he was the one who was out tending the sheep. Okay. God blessed him, chose him as king. But what did God do when David sinned? He punished him, exposed his sin, set his whole household against him, and there was rebellion and an overthrow of the kingship attempted by Absalom. All as punishment for what he did with Bathsheba. Okay. Verse 14. Yeah, the first part of it shows. Let, let's cover that, okay? First part of it shows that if there is anyone who has done something worthy of death, he shall not be stoned to death on the word of one person. One person. You need two or three witnesses, okay? Verse 6. At the mouth of two or three witnesses shall he be worthy of death to be put to death. At the mouth of one witness, he shall not be put to death. Verse 8. Here's the explicit instructions of what to do when something is difficult. If a matter is too hard for you in judgment, between blood and blood, between plea and plea, between stroke and stroke, being a matter of strife within your gates, 
Then you shall arise and go up to the place where the Lord your God shall choose, and you shall come to the priest and the Levites and to the judge that shall be in those days, and ask. They shall declare to you the sentence of judgment. Now, they were to do, like we saw back there in Matthew 23, according to the word of God. That's the judgment. Whatever God says, because now remember this. When you, when you study through the book of Chronicles, you find that when Hezekiah set up judges, he said to them, the judgment is the Lord. That's what it is. It can't be what we think or what the majority votes. It has to be what is God's judgment. And there are plenty of ways you can find out by looking into the scriptures to get the right answer. And you must take the time. You must not be hasty. You must not be partial. Okay? And after they give the decision, you shall be careful to do according to all that they tell you, according to the sentence of the law, God's law, which they shall teach you, and according to the judgment, which they shall tell you, you shall do. And you shall not turn aside from the sentence which they shall show you to the right hand or to the left. Okay. Now notice what else. How strict was this? See, Because you can't have lawlessness. You can't have mob rule. You can't have majority rule, even though the majority claims they're right, if they have an evil cause. Nor can you oppress the minority because you're the majority. If they have a good cause and it's right, you have to admit it is good. See? Now, the ultimate of all of this comes down to what we have already covered, which is this. That is, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control. And what does self-control mean? That means self-control correction with the Spirit of God and with the laws and commandments of God written in your heart and mind and loving God, you will correct yourself. See, Now, if that being the case, and this is what we're going to teach during the millennium, this is going to bring peace and love and growth and so many great and good things will happen and all the blessings of God will be poured out upon all of the people because of that. That's why God wants us to judge righteous judgment. Okay. Now, verse 12. And the man that acts presumptuously and will not hearken to the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God and to the judge even that man shall die, and you shall put away evil from Israel. Now, you go through and read all of the statutes and all of the judgments and all of the precepts that God has there in Exodus and in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, and you will see that if those things were followed, the society would be far different from what it is today. All right? Verse 13. And all the people shall hear and fear and do no more presumptuously. Now, isn't that true? Haven't we seen that? How many times? All right? Now let's continue on, because it even gets more explicit. 
Now, we are to be kings and priests and judges, right? Okay. What is the king to do? So God made a provision here about when they wanted a king. So let's read it. Verse 14. And when you come to the land which the Lord your God gives you, and shall possess it, and you live in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. Okay? That happened to Samuel. Okay? They came to Samuel and said, we want a king. And he got all upset. They came to God and said, what am I going to do? And God said, listen to the people. I'm going to give them a king, but you tell them what kind of king that they are going to get. Okay? Now then, notice what the condition for the king is. And he has the greatest responsibility then because he is the leader of all the people. Question. Christ is going to be king, right? All during the millennium. True? Yes, indeed. Now notice what the human king was to do, which we today need to do in preparation to become kings and priests during the millennium. Let's read it. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God shall choose. And aren't we being chosen to do that? Yes, Christ is doing the choosing in that case. You shall set a king over you from among your brethren you may not set a stranger over you who is not your brother. And what happens? They bring in all kind of foreign and strange things that are not true, and they reject God. So he didn't want that. Okay. Verse 16. Only he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt so as to multiply horses because the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Don't go back to Egypt. But what did they do? And what are we doing today? Same thing. Okay. Now, he also says this. Now, notice. Solomon, after all the blessings that God gave him and chose him to succeed David, what was the first thing he did? He married an Egyptian wife. And what was the next thing that he did? He multiplied horses to himself, right? And what was the next thing that he did? Let's read it. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, so that his heart does not turn away. And isn't that what happened? It says that his wives turned away the heart of Solomon from God to themselves. Okay. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold to himself. And it shall be, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from that which is in the custody of the priest, the Levites. Write it all down. Write down all the five books of Moses. Everything there. Now notice what he was to do. Okay. Verse 19, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, over and over and over again. Isn't that what we're doing today? We're studying the words of God, and we go over them and over them and over them so that it becomes part of us. 
so that it becomes the part of the way that we think, so that we have a righteous mind, so that we can make right decisions, so that we can be righteous judges, so that we can prepare ourselves for the first resurrection and whatever assignment that God gives us, okay? Read it all the days of his life so that he may learn. And that is the lifelong thing, right? He may learn because he had sole power. He had sole discretion. His word is the law. And if the king does evil, what happens? The whole population does evil. Let's read it. So that he may learn to fear the Lord as God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. Now, notice a warning, see, because God knows what human nature will do. And when people are given authority, to some people it goes to their heads and they just become dictators and tyrants and mean and oppressive. And that has happened too many times within the churches of God. He's to study the laws. He's to study the gospels. He's to study the writings of the apostle Paul today, right? so that his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren. Number one, even though you're king, you're not greater than other people. You may have greater authority, but how do you use that authority? Do you use it righteously? Do you judge righteously? Do you think righteously? Do you act righteously? That's why he's to study it all the days of his life. Okay? And that he does not turn aside from the commandment to the right or the left. To the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Those are some pretty powerful words. And of course, those all apply to us today. Now let's look at a few more Proverbs here because there's quite, quite a bit that we can understand. Let's come back to Proverbs 11. So you see how the whole Bible is a plan of education by God to us on how that we become the sons and daughters of God and what we are to do, how we are to live, how we are to think, how we are to love, how all of these things come about in our lives. Let's come here to Proverbs 11. Okay, Proverbs 11 and verse 14. Let's see what that says. Proverbs 11 and verse 14. Okay. Where there is no wisdom, the people fall. Is that not true? Yes. Remember what we covered beginning in Proverbs, the second chapter. To come to wisdom, you have to have knowledge, you have to have understanding, you have to have wisdom. Where there is no wisdom, the people fall. But in the multitude of wise counselors, there is safety. Quite a thing. Now, look at what's happening in Washington, D.C. and almost every other government on earth today. Those who are in charge are not wise. They have an agenda that is according to Satan the devil, not according to God. And look at what is happening. Look how bad that is. Look how, how terrible that it is in America today and other nations of the world because of that. 
All right? Proverbs 15, verse 22. Like I said, in the book of Proverbs, we find more instruction on, on how to be kings and priests. Proverbs 15, and let's look at verse 22. Without counsel, purposes are frustrated, but in a multitude of counselors, they are established. Okay. All right, let's look at another one. Proverbs 13 and verse 23. Okay. Proverbs 13 and verse 23. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of the fools pours out foolishness. Okay. Has to always be in truth. Always be in truth. See? Come up here to verse 17. Notice this. He who speaks truth shows forth righteousness. And we're to judge what? Righteous judgment. But a false witness, deceit. Come down here to verse 19. The lips of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. All right, let's look at another one. Let's come to Proverbs 8. Okay. Proverbs 8 and verse 14. Quite a thing. Proverbs 8. And verse 14. So this also tells us how we are to prepare. Okay. Verse 14. Counsel and sound wisdom are mine. All comes from God. Why? Because he's lawmaker. Because he's perfect. Because he is merciful. Because he is loving. Okay. I am understanding, I have strength. By me, kings reign, and princes decree justice or judgment. Now, isn't that kind of a description, what we're going to be doing during the millennium? Yes, indeed. Princes rule by me. And that's how it's going to be. We're not going to rule over people our way. No, God's way, you see, are by me. And nobles and all the judges of the earth. Now, that applies to all of us right now and in the millennium, okay? I love those who love me, and those who seek me early shall find me. Riches and honor are with me, yea, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit, now this is the fruit of wisdom. My fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold, for what I give is better than choice silver. Verse 20, I lead the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of judgment. Now, that's quite a verse. Let's read that again. I lead, now this is wisdom personified, which comes from God. I lead in the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice or judgment. That I may cause those who love me to inherit substance and I will fill their treasures. Boy, that's something. And isn't that the way it's going to be? Now, let's summarize again what Jesus wants. All right? What I'm going to do 
is quickly read, and you can download this, 17 Things We Need to Maintain Righteous Judgment. Okay? Now, this will be posted online for day six, and you can download it. So that's why I will go through this without expanding upon it. 17 things. One, remember the judgment is God's, not yours. Two, know yourself and get sin out of your own life. Number three, hear all the facts. And remember the one that comes first seems just, but then the one who's offended comes and brings his case, and you get the rest of the facts. Number four, always be open-minded. That is, don't have any politics, don't have any agendas. Number five, never render a judgment without hearing the entire matter. Number six, never look only on circumstances and outward appearances. Number seven, discern the attitudes and motives of those involved. Number eight, never be a respecter of persons. God is not. Number nine, never accept a gift. That's bribery. Number 10, Always be totally fair and impartial. Number 11, educate yourself in God's laws, statutes, and judgments. Number 12, in difficult cases, seek counsel. Number 13, think of the long-term consequences. Number 14, always make your decisions and judgments specific and clear. Number 15, the element of timing in judgment. Number 16, mercy in judgment. Number 17, you must be filled with God's Spirit and have the mind of Christ. And don't forget to get the booklet, Judge Righteous Judgment. It's not the same as what has been presented here in these messages. There are other things in it as well. But this is what you need. This is really one of the most excellent booklets that we have to help you understand Judge Righteous Judgment. So this is the righteous judgment that we need. And remember what Jesus said during that Feast of Tabernacles in John 7. He said, judge righteous judgment. Thank you, brethren. We'll see you tomorrow.